so uh, if you know me, you know I really like taking trips. Uh, I love to take road trips with my family. Uh, we like to go places. But uh, And I know a number of you do that as well. But have you ever had that experience where you're driving and you're headed somewhere and you're kind of... You go past something that's really cool. Uh, maybe it's uh, you know rock formation or uh, something in a city or some cool sign or something like that. And you're like, kids, look, 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 look. And uh, at least in our family, it seems like not everybody can see it. Or not everybody sees it. Some people are looking out the wrong window. Maybe somebody's napping. Uh, somebody's coloring in their coloring book, right? And you're like, oh, you missed it, right? You ever said that? You missed it. Uh, and that happens uh, to families. It can happen to us on road trips. It can happen to us in life. Uh, but uh, I think that it can happen to us spiritually as well as we reach out to other people that there can be opportunities in front of us. And if we're not looking up, we can miss them. Uh, we can miss those opportunities. So that's a question I want to ask of us today as we're uh, thinking about our situation in the world right now is... Uh, are you going to seize the opportunities in front of you, or are you going to miss them? Uh, as we start off here into the summer of, of the year 2020, and I know it's a weird year, but uh, I'm so thankful that at least the seasons are constant, right? Everything else seemed to change, but hey, here comes summer, and it's rolling in, and you know, we're getting thunderstorms, and hailstorms, and sunshine, and longer days, and I love it. I, I hope other people love summer like I do. And as we're rolling into summer, it seems like maybe just a little bit at a time, just a bit by bit, the world is kind of opening up uh, from this pandemic, and things are starting to open. I see people on the screen, even I'm seeing people have got some haircuts, and uh, you know, people are starting to get out a little bit more, and so things are all opening up, and for me, here's just a, a little picture of what I've been up to. Uh, I've been thinking about having people over, and uh, our uh, back deck has been rotten uh, for a couple of years, and so I finally was like, well, this is probably a good time to replace it, so uh, my boys and I were in the process of replacing this thing, and part of the reason to replace it is because we like to hang out and have people over and sit outside, and shoot, we don't even have to have people over. There's enough of us at our house that we can hang out together, and it's kind of a crowd. We almost almost break that uh, 10-person limit that they have <laughs> right now when it's just us, uh, but I'm ready for gatherings. I'm rather ready for getting back together and, and being together and spending time together. And so here we are rolling into summer. And if you're like me, which I think most of you probably are, uh, in summer you'll be a little bit more free from your routine. And yeah, you're going to be busy. We're all busy all the time. But maybe school is out or things are different a little bit. Um, We're probably going to be outside the home more as as things start to open up and roll on here. There's going to be more recreation. There's going to be more activities. You'll be doing more stuff in your community. Uh, And I think as part of this, we're going to be start to become back together. And being back together means you're going to have more interaction with neighbors. And we've talked about who's your neighbor. Your neighbor is just really anybody you're going to run into in any place. And so the question we want to ask is, this is coming, this is, this is rolling out before us, are you going to look up or are you going to miss it? 
I think if, if you're like me, you want a vacation. Most of us like vacation. Most of us want vacation. But we know, at least in our heads, we know that we don't need or ever should take a vacation from the gospel. And we should never take a vacation from the Great Commission. So what is the Great Commission? I thought I would just sort of review it right here. Mark 16, 15, we're all familiar with this. Jesus said to them, to his disciples, he said, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Now, maybe you're a little bit newer to faith, or you're newer, I, I can't see everybody who's on the screen today, but just to, as a way of reminder or introduction, and if you ask that question, why do we tell other people about Jesus? Why do we tell people about Jesus? Well, we tell people about Jesus because the news about Jesus is good news. In fact, it is the best news. And if you have good news, and somebody asks a question that relates to that, how awful it is for you not to have a good answer to give them about that good news. And how awful to not be ready to share the hope that we have within us. And of course we do that, but we want to do that in winsome ways. We want to be winsome, and that's a word we use all the time. I had to look up the definition. You see it there on the screen. The definition is attractive or appealing in appearance or character. We want to be winsome. Now, that doesn't mean that the gospel needs to be dressed up, that we need to hide you know, certain unattractive parts of the area. That's not what it means, but there are ways that we can talk about and act out the gospel that is helpful, that is appealing, that is attractive in appearance or character to others. And so, as we roll into the summer here, we're going to have more interactions. And as we have more interactions with others, we're going to have more opportunities to be on the mission together. And of course, our church has a mission. And that church's mission is, our church's mission is this. As you see, reach the world with Jesus, starting here. And of course, the starting here part means where? Well, it means starting here in my own life, for each one of us. It starts in my own life, and then it's in my home, and then it's in my community around me, and then eventually out to the ends of the earth. Now, it's good for us to remember this is the mission of the church, and when we say that, we mean it's not just for pastors. This mission is not for just Brad and I. Oh, you, you and Brad, you guys go do this thing. Or I just have the church organization do that. No, it is not for that. It's not just for us. It is for us, but not only for us. One of the core values of our church is we say that all believers should be ministers of the gospel. Right? Not just the ministers of the church, are the ones. No, it's all believers should be ministers of the gospel. That's one of our core values. And uh, we think of Galatians chapter 4, verse 12 there, where Paul says to the church, to the people in Galatia, to all of them, he's not just talking to pastors, he's talking to specifically to everybody in that church. He says, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. And the key point to this is if we are going to become ministers of the gospel, if that's a value that the scripture gives, if that's a value that we have as a church, then we're going to need to do some becoming. Just like Paul did. He, he had some becoming. He became like them. We need to become. We need to adapt to fit with the people around us and the people we interact with. Now, when I say adaptation, I don't mean assimilation. I don't mean we should give up truth. I don't think we should give up our morality. Uh, I don't think we need to compromise 
the values that we have, but we can adapt to be more winsome. And to adapt requires a few things. I got them here on the screen. Uh, to, to adapt, we have to be flexible. We have to be able to bend. We have to be able to uh, not be so rigid in, in certain things, in certain ways that we act. How much will you bend? How flexible will you be for the sake of the gospel? We also have to be transparent, which just means being open. Will we be open about our faith? And will we be open about our strengths? Will we be open about our weaknesses? Of course, we need to know authoritative truth. That's truth with a capital T. Because when we know the truth, then we won't be assimilated. We'll stand on that. And to do that, we have to be grounded in the Word. We need to be spending our time reading the Word, listening to the Word, studying the Word, praying about the Word. And then, of course, we need to be willing to suffer on behalf of others. Because if we're not willing to suffer, then we're really only willing to take a percentage of people. We're a percentage of people and relate to them that way. If you just say, oh, here's a whole person, well, a big chunk of their life is suffering and burdens. If we say, I don't want to engage with that, we only want to engage with a piece of them. The call for the gospel is for us to engage with everybody, all parts of everybody. And to do that, we have to be willing to take on others' burdens. That's part of what becoming that Paul is talking about there in Galatians chapter 4 means. So we think about becoming like others, we have to ask the question, can I do that kind of vicariously? Can I do that without sacrifice or making some fairly major life decisions? No. Think about Paul. Did Paul do that? Did he become like the Galatians without sacrificing and without making changes to his life? No. And then he says to the Galatians, you do this too. So did he expect them to become like others, to carry on a gospel ministry without those kind of sacrifices? No, of course not. I think one of the problems we have is that often we want to have a gospel ministry without wanting to have the zeal required to make changes in our life to do it. We want gospel ministry to just fit, oh, into my schedule. I want to be able to plug it into my my magical calendar and, and put some time slots around it as opposed to build my calendar around the gospel. And so as we begin to and continue to leave the the stay-at-home phase, our flesh is probably going to trend trend us towards selfishness. We've kind of been sacrificing for a while here. We've been staying at home and we've been keeping things close and as things open up we're going to probably want to say, oh, it's all now about my time and my freedom and my vacation and my activities. But the biblical call for us is to sacrifice and to adapt. And I believe that call is still true even in the unusual circumstances we kind of find ourselves in right now. And so I'm really confident we have a tremendous opportunity this summer. A tremendous opportunity to adapt. And to adapt in order to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to people around us. And not just to people around us, but to a world that is in desperate need. 
And I think none of us are under the, uh, you know, or maybe we are, I don't know, but it seems like a false hope to think that, oh, the way things were in our culture in February, we'll just take it a couple months and we'll be just right back to that. There's going to be some desperate needs that are going to continue to roll out of the situation that we've been in. And those desperate needs create a tremendous opportunity for us to share the good news with others. So, let's be practical. We've got to get prepared. How do we get prepared in this summer, in your summer coming up right here? How are we getting prepared for gospel ministry? Well, a couple things. First one, I'd say just look at the calendar you have and identify those places and those interactions that you have. Are you going to start going to stores? Are you going to start going back to parks? Are you going to start doing activities with your kids? Get your eyes up and be thinking about, oh, maybe there's some opportunities here. And think about, how can I bring the gospel to others in those moments? And so in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus kind of gives us two concepts of how we can do this. And so we're going to look at those two concepts this morning. The first one, of course, is the idea of being salt. He says, be salt. Matthew 5.13, he says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. In this context, he's saying, oh, salt is a flavor and salt is a preservative. And I think salt was maybe used a little differently uh, in Bible times than it is now. But I think the concept is still sort of the same, is that salt is really only effective when... When it's in the mix, right? So I have a picture here of a couple different things. If you can see it, that top uh, picture is at a salt mine. And it's a giant pile of salt. And it is doing nothing (laughs) but sitting there. It is waiting. It's sort of like potential energy. It's waiting to be something good and to be useful and to be salty. It's just sitting there doing nothing. There's a bulldozer driving over it and, and whatever, right? But then that bottom picture, that makes my mouth wide. I don't know, maybe not everybody likes pizza, or maybe some of you are dairy intolerant, and that makes you sick to look at it, but pizza is delicious, at least in my opinion. It's delicious, and a big reason it's delicious and tasty is because it has salt. I tell you, I love eating pizza, but after that I'm drinking water for hours because of all the salt that is in pizza. And the salt is effective because it is in the mix. There's not just a pile of salt sitting on the pizza. It's all mixed in. It's mixed in. And so Jesus is telling us in the same way we need to be salty. We need to be in the mix. And I think of this in a lot of ways as our words, as our conversations, the way we speak to others. That's being salty. How do we speak to others? The second concept there in Matthew chapter 5 is light. We all know this. He says, you are the light of the world. We love, we have that verse up in our church building here. Uh, Not that anybody's seen it for a couple months, except a couple of us have been here. But that's the verse. He says, you are the light of the world. City on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. 
See, light is a couple things. Light is a guide. It is a guide. It lets people know, oh, that's where I need to go. And it also illuminates the way in front of you. I think of uh, uh, my oldest son, Reeve, there. His 16th birthday was last week, and his siblings got him uh, a bike lamp for his bike. You know, he, he goes to work, he has a Chick-fil-A, and now that it's summer, they're having him work a little bit later, and he's coming home after dark, and his siblings were very thoughtfully like, hey, we should get him a bike light so he'll be safe. And that light on that bike does two things. Number one, it lights the path for him that he's going down the road, but it also lets the cars know, hey, there's somebody on a bike there. And hopefully they'll pay attention and slow down. And Jesus is calling us to live in that same way. He wants us to live by example. He wants us to be light. And when I think of light, like he says here, see your good deeds. It's about our actions. It's about the things that we do. If our words are being salty, then our actions are being lighty. I don't know if that's the right word or not, but that's what he's aiming for. Now, we think about this. We want to be salt. We want to be light. Something to remember is that we do not want to worry about the results. Which is hard. If you're like me. Because I'm a very results-oriented person. But God says don't do that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5-9, to Paul says, Each of us did the work, the gospel ministry the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. For we are both God's workers and you are God's field, you are God's building. So we have to remember that salvation is ultimately between God and a person. It's like I've said before, I remember the old song says, God ain't never had a grandchild. And I think that's very true. Salvation is always between God and a person. And our job is not that. Our job is to be ready, to be willing, to be able to share the good news, to be salt, and to be light. And you know what? It's okay if people don't respond well. It's okay if people don't seem to respond at all. It's okay if you don't think you see results, even after a long time. That person is on their own journey of faith. And you're just there to plant and water seeds. And so I thought today, maybe I would just share a few stories, a few personal examples. Hopefully they'll encourage you. You, Maybe you've heard them before. I've probably shared some of these in in different contexts. I know one of them I talked about even uh, a couple weeks ago briefly. But just as ways to to think about salt and light. And then at the end of that, I'll give you a few uh, practical uh, ideas for how we could do that this summer. So first story I was thinking about uh, when I was much younger, about half my lifetime ago, uh, I was I was traveling, uh, and uh, I was flying standby, uh, trying to get back to Atlanta where I was going to college, and I was really blessed. I was able to get like the last seat or next to the last seat on the plane. There was a long list of people on standby, and I got on the plane, and I was so excited, and I sat down, and I was sitting next to another guy who was about my age. 
and he wanted to talk. You know how that goes. You get on an airplane, and sometimes people don't want to talk, and sometimes they do. And this guy wanted to talk, and I was like, okay, sounds good. So I sat and talked to him, and we, I started asking him some questions, and I found out that he actually was also a student at the same university I was a student at. And so I think that, that sort of brings up one idea here is when you're trying to be salt and light, can you find a connection with somebody? Anytime you have a conversation with somebody, there's some way you can connect with them, but a lot of times you just have to find it. And sometimes it means you got to know something about stuff you don't like. you got to know just a little bit. Because if somebody says, wow, I really love NASCAR, and you don't even know what that is, you can't make a connection with them. Sometimes you have to do that. So you have to ask that question. Can I connect with somebody? Maybe you don't have to know everything about everything. But you say, maybe I can connect with them about their job. Well, what do you do for work? Almost everybody likes to talk about what they do for a job. Uh, How many times I've asked somebody, oh, what do you do for work? And they say, I'm an architect. And I'm like, yes, me too. Right? Or that kind of thing. Or you can always ask somebody, where are you from? Where are you from? Uh, And maybe you know something about that place they're from. Or maybe you don't. And if you don't, then you can ask questions and say, well, where is that? Or what is that like? Or what's the climate like there? And you can ask questions and just showing interest can make a connection. Uh, You can always ask somebody, what part of town do you live in? Well, maybe they live near you. Or maybe they live somewhere you know or some landmark you know. And you go, oh, that's near the the such and such. Oh, yeah. And you're making a connection. Um, You can always ask about sports, right? You can say, well, are you a Broncos fan? (laughs) I don't know, maybe you don't like the Broncos, but it's worth knowing that, hey, the Broncos are kind of a big thing here. Uh, You can always ask about hobbies. You can ask about interests. And again, these are things that maybe you don't like yourself, right? Like, I, I really don't like camping. But I could ask somebody if they like camping, if they're going to the outdoors, and I can have a conversation with them about that and say, oh, wow, that's a really nice place to go. Or, you know what, I think about something I'm not very good at, frisbee golf. For some reason, my wrist doesn't work that way, and I, I can't throw a frisbee. But I'll talk to somebody about frisbee golf. I'll go play frisbee golf uh, for the sake of fellowship or yeah, for the sake of the gospel. Absolutely. See, when we make those connections... When we make personal connections with people, and and I know how it goes. You've probably had that. It, sometimes it drives me nuts. I'll, I'll have a conversation or try to have a conversation with somebody, but it feels very one-sided because I'll ask questions and they'll answer. And then they'll just be silenced. And I'm like, are you going to ask me a question or not? And they, they don't. They just, maybe they don't want to connect. And that's okay. And you discover, now that person didn't really want to connect with me. But you can make connections and you can start that conversational process. And then you can start to transition into salty questions. Questions about faith and belief. Right? Like, I, I have that advantage, too, because I have a couple jobs. Like, if somebody asks me, oh, what's your job? I say, well, I have two. I'm an architect and I'm a pastor. And then whichever one they respond to tells me something about what they're interested in. Right? And I can sort of start to go that way. Not everybody has that opportunity, right? But anyway, back to my story. This young man on the airplane 
we made these connections, and then I started asking him some of these uh, like salty questions about faith and about belief. And he started to actually open up about his life and about what he believed and what he didn't believe and what he was questioning. And this opened the door as he answered those questions. He said, well, what do you believe? Because nobody's going to walk up to you on the street and say, hey, can you tell me what your faith in God is? You have to sort of work towards it. And so I'd work towards it in that situation, and I was able to share my belief, and I was able to share very clearly with him the gospel. It was a pretty neat situation. Now, what were the results? You know what? I don't know. I don't know if uh, that guy ever made a decision to follow Jesus. And that's not really the point. I mean, it is the point, and we trust the Lord and hope for him and, and pray for him that he did. But that wasn't my role, and that wasn't my interaction with that situation. The point for me was to be salt and to be light. And to do, as Paul said, the work the Lord gave me to do. So that was my first story. Second story uh, is a little more recent from our family. Can I share a little bit more about uh, Christine, my wife here, is uh, trying to meet needs versus via uh, social media, right? we got to be careful because social media can be so vile and so difficult to engage with, right? There can be so many pains, especially right now where people are, are really kind of fired up about a lot of different things and a lot of different perspectives. So we got to be careful with it. But <clears throat> we, we have a, I'm sure most of you have Nextdoor or are aware of Nextdoor where uh, you, you can be in touch with people in your neighborhood in a way that's not really Facebook but is more, you know, kind of needs and stuff. And, and uh, so Christine noticed that, you know, a, a while ago, last year, there was a neighbor who on next door asked for a specific need to be met. Said, hey, I need some help with some transportation uh, for one of my kids. Now, as a family, of course, we got six kids, and we're really busy, and we homeschool. we got a lot of different things going on, and so that's not a very easy thing to say, oh, yeah, we just, oh, we just got all this time. We're sitting around not doing anything, but we can help meet some needs. But it, it wasn't convenient, but my wife saw that, hey, this is an opportunity. There is an opportunity for the gospel here where we could create a relationship by being lights by helping to meet some needs here. And so she made the sacrifice of time and energy to really help and to say, yeah, I'll do that. I'll step in and help and do this. And in the process of doing that, she discovered, no surprise, that this family's needs were greater than just transportation. The needs were deeper. There was other things going on there. And those deeper needs are for sure an opportunity for us to get the gospel to them. And we're really working on trying to build that relationship and, and try to move it forward now. So we can take those opportunities where we see needs and we can meet needs. This can open the door for us to get closer to others. So then my third story today, and I shared, I mentioned this couple uh, a couple weeks ago, my friends Andy and Kristen, uh, who uh, I met at the University of Washington, and uh, we got to be friends when we were students there. They were the only other students uh, in our program who were also from Colorado, so we kind of struck up an immediate friendship. But early on in my conversation, my experience with them, there were some things that they said that made it very clear they were not believers. Now, they were kind of the people, we might call them even make-believers, where they could kind of say they were Christian and, and say a couple sort of godly things, but it was very clear from their lives and what they were doing that they really weren't saved. And so Christine and I, we said, you know what, we're going to 
we're going to reach out to them. We're going to be salt and light. And so we made a conscious decision that in our words and our deeds toward them and the time that we had with them, we were going to try to get the gospel to them. So we started that by just starting to spend time with them. I was a student with them, and so I spent as much time as I could around class hanging out with them when they registered for classes. Sometimes I'd be like, well, they're in that class. I'll try to register with them. Or we'd be in a class. I'd try to work on a group project with them. Uh, there were times as, as, as two couples, we would just, I, we'd try to initiate having meals with them. We'd go out to eat together. When Thanksgiving rolled around, we invited them, and they came over to our house. Or I guess it wasn't a house. It was an apartment for Thanksgiving. And uh, we started to take excursions and we even did some things that we probably wouldn't have done otherwise. We went to a parade with them and some other things that we were like, ah, I probably wouldn't spend my time that way if it was just me, but for the sake of the gospel, we'll go do that with them. We looked for ways we could serve them. I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. They had cats. We're both allergic to cats, but they went and traveled and needed someone to watch their cats. We watched their cats and played with their cats and then took allergy medicine afterwards. We did other things. We even changed our location. We moved from the apartments we were living in to the same apartment complex they were living in so that we could be closer to them. We, of course, invited them to church. There were special events. There were Sunday services. They came to some. They didn't come to other things. But we invited them. We had lots of conversation We asked lots of questions when it was appropriate. We had all kinds of conversation about marriage because we were both had been married at about the same time and were kind of walking through some of those same phases of things. We asked salty questions about faith. Those questions led to lots of discussions, things about origins and evolution and faith and what is the gospel and what does it mean. So we were able to be salt and ask questions and have conversations. We also lived without shame in our faith. I made a commitment as a college student there, as a graduate student, because I was married and because church was important to me. I just said, you know what? I'm not going to work on school stuff on Sundays. That's going to be my boundary. I'm not going to work on Sundays. And I didn't walk around advertising that, but it became very clear when I wasn't in the studio working on Sundays that I had another standard. We were committed to our church. We, we participated on Sundays and other activities. We built relationships with the people uh, who were in their church there in Washington. We also did things like we we lived within our limited financial means. We didn't run up debt. We kept a tight budget. We had to say no to doing certain things or say, hey, can we do this sort of the cheaper version of this thing? And all of that spoke about our faith and showed our faith and our actions. But we'd ask the question, what was the result? What was the result of that? We had all that investment and all that time. We'd even moved our lives to be close to these people, right? And so in the, the glorious story, we go, yeah, and at some point they said, hey, I'd really like to place my faith in Christ. Well, we spent 18 months on that process, and then we moved back to Colorado. And after 18 months, we sort of looked at each other and said, I don't know if anything has changed in their lives. There didn't seem to be any sort of apparent change in their spiritual standing with the Lord. And that was kind of disappointing if we were consumed with results. But, you know, God says, don't be consumed with results. We we just didn't think we'd accomplished anything. But we just said, all right, well, we just trust that we've sowed seeds and watered seeds and, and left it there. But after we left, and we graduated from college, and they graduated, and they were out on their own, they stayed in Seattle, and they said, you know what? We, maybe we should 
start going to church and figure that out. And so they started going to church. And in that church, there were some other believers. And in the setting they were in, those believers were able to call them out on their make-belief and say, hey, you guys aren't really saved. And they recognized it. And both Andy and Kristen received the good news and got right with God. Right there. And they've told us since then that some of those things that we did, like not working on Sunday and our conversations and the way we conducted ourselves and our marriage, influenced them and pointed them to make that decision. And this just as a postscript to that is really cool. I, a couple years later, I recruited them to move back to Colorado. And Andy is, uh, has been my colleague in the architecture firm for almost 15 years now. And we're still very good friends to this day. And they have four kids, and they're serving God wholeheartedly in another church, another part of town here. And they serve the Lord in their home and at work. And it's just been a blessing to see lives transformed. And I don't say, oh, hey, you know, we, we did it. It wasn't us. We just did the work the Lord laid before us, which was to sow seeds and to be salt and to be light. And so my point in all of that story is for us to all remember that most people are not really reached by some sort of big tent revival or big crusade or by some paid professional who goes around sharing the gospel. In this case, with this couple, it was just kind of an average cash-strapped couple, my wife and I, living in faith, trying to be obedient to the Great Commission, moment by moment, day by day, in the small things and the big things, in our deeds and our words, and being salt and being light, and not being worried about the results in others, but instead exercising faith in our own lives. And guess what? God took care of the results. That's one of those stories where I say, look at what God did. He took care of the results. And so those are kind of just my stories I wanted to share. And maybe you've heard them before. But I want us to take away this, is that this summer we have a unique opportunity. Realize that this is a unique opportunity that we will never have probably in our history ever again. The opportunity to walk out of a pandemic (laughs) hasn't happened in over a hundred years in this country. It probably may not happen again. I don't know. But there are some things we can do as we're walking this out that are really simple. I'm just going to walk through those things for you today. Some simple ideas for how you can be salt and light. First, just simply smile and be courteous. I never know how big of a deal that is, but it can be a big deal. I was so surprised. I was in the grocery store this week, and I saw two people almost get into a fist fight. And it wasn't like two big dudes. It was like a young man and an older lady because he, like, cut her off with his shopping cart. But everybody's so on edge. And I understand it. It makes sense. Smile and be courteous. No, oh, you, no, go ahead. You go ahead of me. Oh, that's fine. No, here, why don't you? I see you have a lot. You go ahead of me. And you go, well, I'm wearing a mask. They can't see me smile. Well, learn to smile with your eyes. You can do it. You can give compassionate glances if they can't see your face. A second thing we can do is to use social media, but not to vent, but to encourage. It is a platform, and people are looking at it. 
Maybe you should post about how you see God at work. Some of you, I know, have done that. I've been encouraged by a number of your posts I've been seeing here recently. Post about what God is doing. Look on social media for people who are asking for help and engage with them. Don't use it to vent. I think we can also ask good questions to build bridges, which is true. Like I said, we can ask all those questions about job and geography and neighborhood and so forth. But we got a unique opportunity. How about asking that question, well, how do you feel about social distancing? But what are your thoughts on that? And be prepared that their thoughts may not be your thoughts on it. And to just say, oh, I'm just trying to find out where this person is at and how I can relate to them on that. You can also ask the question of, who well, have you or, or your family or someone you know been afflicted by the virus? And there's a chance for you to show compassion if they have or if something's going on. It, it may open something in their lives. You can always ask that question, hey, so things have been kind of weird and upside down. What, what are you missing the most? What are you missing the most about what, what was kind of normal life? And, and maybe have your own answer too. Maybe your answer is going out to eat. I don't know what it is, but you have your answer. But be ready and ask them what theirs is and connect with them on that. I think another thing we can do is be generous. Be generous. We should do that all the time. But uh, you think of these, these folks who are out there serving. I know Kenneth is, is back at work doing some serving and that sort of thing in the restaurant. But just tip. Give them a good tip. Be generous. Be salt. Be light. Be generous. And then the fifth one, of course, we say with a little trepidation is invite others into your home. Now, look, when it's appropriate, okay? When it's appropriate, invite others to your home. And when you're at peace about it, when you're at peace about inviting people into your home and it's appropriate, then do it. I think people are probably craving that kind of interaction. And always be careful. Those who you're going to invite, when you start inviting people into your home, make sure you know that they're people who do want (laughs) to get out. Don't try to invite people who are trying to isolate themselves for whatever reason. That may not go so well. Be very careful. But there is an opportunity to invite people into your home. Maybe people might be more receptive to coming into your home than they were in the past because of this sort of lack of this opportunity to have that sort of person-to-person interaction. So see, there's five suggestions. Not a single one of those requires any sort of over-the-top preparation. We can be salt and light, moment by moment, day by day, action by action. We just have to be willing to look up. To not be looking out the wrong window, to be not be looking down at your phone, to not be taking a nap. Look up and see the opportunities that are coming by us as we go. And then to act on behalf of the gospel and faith. So that's what I wanted to share this morning. Uh, I'll go ahead and pray and we'll close here. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you. God, we think of uh, Jesus' words there in Matthew 5 calling us to be salt and light. God, and I would, I'm fairly certain probably almost everybody who's listening on this call this morning probably understands those concepts and has probably heard them before. And Lord, I know that's true of me. But God, thank you that it's there to remind us. And Lord, that as we walk into this historic opportunity of coming out of a pandemic this summer, that we would be looking for those opportunities in our daily life. Lord, even these simple things where we can build bridges to others to reach them. 
Lord, give us the confidence to be salt and to be light. Lord, thank you for giving us that guidance. Lord, we would really want to see, as our mission statement says, to reach the world with Jesus. Lord, we would love to see people saved. But God, we leave those results up to you. We want to be faithful and obedient and in faith. And God, we trust that whatever harvest you have of souls, that's in your time and your place and your way. So Lord, help us, each one of us, to be ministers of the gospel together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.